Well, let me just start by welcoming you to Fellowship Church. We, we know that every week we have uh, new uh, guests that are here for the first time. This is your first time at Fellowship, and we just want you to know that uh, you're welcome, and we're glad that you're here. We've prayed for you, maybe not by name, but um, God knew who you were, and uh, we've prayed that God would minister to you, and we hope that you've already been uh, welcomed and received and, and blessed just uh, by being a part of our service already. And I uh, hope that that will continue as we uh, continue now into the preaching and the, and the teaching of the Word of God, which is an important part of our gathering for worship. And uh, what a blessing it was for us to hear from all of our other pastors uh, over the past uh, several weeks. I'm, I'm thankful for each one of them and uh, the way that they brought forth uh, the word. And uh, we also had the great blessing of welcoming Stephen Anderson to the pastoral staff. And, uh, and so that's a, a real blessing. We did that on, on Tuesday night. And of course, that's with the intention of sending him out. Um, and uh, for, for, uh, to plant a church, and we're continuing to seek the Lord uh, for that. But I was blessed uh, to receive on a Sunday morning uh, something that I don't get uh, to do all that often, and it was especially also good for our church to hear the vision of the church, and you heard that coming through all of uh, our, our pastors, and uh, it shows you something, I hope. It shows you the church. Uh, it shows you the, the body that we are, we're all on the same page. Uh, that's good, right? <laughs> uh, that's good. And uh, may all of us also as a church just embrace this mission and this vision that God has given to us as a church. So uh, over the past several weeks, uh, some of you have noticed that, uh, that my wife and I have been uh, painting and she's been redesigning uh, my office. I just kind of follow what she asked me to do. <laughs> Uh, when it comes to that, and it's something long overdue. Uh, it's been that way for, my, go my goodness, it's been that way for quite a long time. But through that process, I've had to go through dozens of files and, and stacks of pa paper. I'm finding stuff from like three, you know, pastors back. Like we're, uh, and, and so I'm going through things. And, and I found an old document that I had created back in 2009. Um, it was entitled, A God-Centered Vision for Fellowship. And at the top of that, after it said that, at the top it said, uh, it had the mission of the church. And, and I noticed it, it, it was the same. It, it's, it's, it's remained the same. I thought that was, that was good. And then it listed core values. And the very first core value said this. It said, we value God and his glory as our supreme value. And I was struck by that as I thought back, as it just brought me back to that to 2009, 2010, what was going on in our church, what, what we, where we were, where we felt God was leading. And, and I was struck because I knew that the message that I was going to give today was going to be about the glory of God and how that ties into our mission. And I was just encouraged to see that what I was going to share today in February of 2023 was still the vision back in 2009, that all that we do is for the glory of God. Everything that we do is for his glory. It's, and that means something. It means not ours, right? Not yours, not, not mine, but God's. And so today we're gonna look at an Old Testament text. We're gonna look at Exodus 33. 
This is an amazing story. And, and, and so we're going we're gonna to go through pretty much all of it um, just so that we can, we can take it in. But it's an amazing story that's given to us, recorded for us in the Word of God. It's an exchange between the God of the universe and his prophet, his servant, Moses. And, and he gives us a glimpse of this by recording it in Scripture for us. And so let's pray and ask the Lord to lead us before we do that. Lord God, we thank you already for the wonderful time that we've had together in worship. And now, as that continues through the preaching and the teaching of your word, may you, God, continue to go before us. We submit ourselves, each one of us, to the authority of the word of God. And may it speak to us, and may we respond to it, each one of us. And may you reveal yourself to us through it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would, you can turn in your Bibles to Exodus uh, chapter 33. And, and so that's all, you go all the way to the left in your Bible. You find Genesis and turn right and uh, you're going to be there. Um, Exodus chapter 33. And again, I'm going to walk us through this account. Uh, and, and let me just set the stage for kind of where we are in, in Exodus 33. The nation of Israel has been rescued uh, from the bondage of Egypt. They've been promised a new land. Right, we, we know that, the promised land, but for now, they have no home. They, they're not in the promised land, they're in the in-between. Anybody familiar with the in-between? Where you think God is leading you, where you're, you know, what you're praying for, but you're not there yet, and you're, you're in that in-between. That's where they were, they're following Moses, and they're following God because Moses is seeking to follow God. And the first thing that we see is we have an instruction from God. Look at verse one. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you've brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying to your offspring, I will give it. So the Lord tells Moses right here, bring your people to the land that I, I, God, have promised. I promised it not just to you, Moses. I promised it to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And, and Moses is good with this plan. He's like, okay, let's go. Let's go. But notice, notice what the Lord says in verse 2. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites and the rest of, of the ites there, the people that are in the land. And I want you to notice who is, who is the Lord going to send before the people? Notice an angel. It's gonna, I'll send an angel before you. And, and then the Lord promised something. He promised that, that the people in the land, you know, the, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the, that they would be driven out. And he says, the Lord is going to do this, probably through this powerful angel. Now, step back from this text and just ask yourself, how many of you would be good if the Lord told you personally, hey, I'm sending you somewhere. I'm sending you here. I'm sending you there. Maybe it's to another country. Maybe it's to another state. Maybe it's to another city. I have work for you to do there. Don't worry. I'm going to send an angel to go before you, and he's going to take care of business with any of your enemies. Right. You'd be like, that sounds great, God. I'm signing up for that. I can't wait to see this angel, and I can't wait to do this. But Mo Moses notices there's a problem. 
What's the problem? Verse three, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way. Okay, that's not good. For you are a stiff-necked people. Okay, so what happened? I mean, before it sounded really good. The angel, enemies getting destroyed. Now God says, I'm not going with you. Why? Because if I go with you, I may consume you on the way. Okay, that, that says something about what's going on between the relationship of the people to God. And then he says that you are a stiff-necked people. And that's not a physiological problem. That, that's a spiritual problem. They were stubborn. I remember my mom used to say hard-headed. It was kind of her way of describing this same thing. Stubborn. Unwilling, stiff-necked, because they're not recognizing what God has done. This is, this is the key problem here. God has done something the people haven't really noticed, taken notice. They're not giving glory to God for it, and God is letting them know. So then what happened? What happened after God said this in verse 3? Well, the people mourned. They mourned. Even though they heard about this angel going before them, and their enemies being defeated, they mourned. They even took off their jewelry as an act of contrition. You see that in verse four. And that's why they did that because they didn't feel like we should be adorning ourselves at this time. We should be mourning. And then the text here transitions. It transitions from this, which is more narrative, to a worship practice of Moses. Specifically, this is kind of a description of Moses' quiet time with the Lord. His morning devotions, which are pretty cool, as you're going to see. So God meets and he talks with Moses. In verses 7 through 11, Moses here describes his meetings with God. First, he went outside the camp, far off from the camp. So you got to picture that we, this is a large group of people and they're out in the, in the desert, in the wilderness. They're setting up tents probably next to each other. And that's their camp. And then Moses goes outside the camp, pitches a tent, and he calls it the tent of meeting. Now, this was not the tabernacle tent of meeting yet. This was a temporary one. And it was a temporary way for God to meet with Moses. Hear that. For God to meet with Moses until the more permanent tabernacle tent of meeting was built. So what happened at this tent of meeting outside the camp? Well, so here's what would happen. Moses would set up this tent outside the camp. And then when he did, he'd go inside the tent and a, and a pillar, a, a cloud in the shape of a pillar would descend from the sky and would stop at the entrance to Moses' tent. Think about that. And then the Lord would speak to Moses now that is a, that's a pretty cool quiet time, right? Like that's, that's probably, you're probably thinking that doesn't sound like my morning devotions. What did the people in the camp do? Well, when Moses would get up to meet with God in the tent, some people would go outside the camp and watch him. You see that in verse seven, the rest of the people would stand outside their tent 
So now some are going outside the camp, some are going right outside their tent, and they're just watching the cloud descend, and they would worship God. Notice that in verse 8. The people are worshiping God as Moses is communing with God, and this was really what you see is a worship service happening. People are worshiping God. God is interacting with Moses. And what made it a worship service? This is, this is important. What made it a worship service was the fact that God was meeting with his people. And his people were meeting with God. Notice that this is not people doing stuff in order in worship to get God to show up in some way. No, this is God making his presence known and the people respond in worship. And that's pretty much what we seek to do here. The same thing. We want to, when God makes his presence known among us, we want to respond to him in worship. It's God's presence that gave rise to worship, not the other way around. Now, how did God relate to Moses? Look at verse 11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Now, God is spirit. And so this language here is descriptive language. It's it's helping us see and understand what is going on. But he spoke to Moses Face to face through the cloud, and he did so as a man speaks to his friend. And so, what we have here is we have a holy, transcendent God. And by transcendent, I mean God is nothing like us in so many ways, one of them being holiness. But this holy, transcendent God is making himself knowable approachable with a human, with Moses, a sinner. And Moses makes a request of God. We see that now in verse 12. Moses makes this request to God. Moses said to the Lord, verse 12, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, and again, this is Moses talking to God. If I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Oh, and consider this. Don't forget this. God, this nation, they're your people. So Moses tells God, he's telling God that he wants God to show him his ways. You see, Moses doesn't fully know God. Not in the way that we do. We, he doesn't have, the, he doesn't have the, 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 revel, the full revelation of God to humanity in front of him. Not at this time. Not even close. He didn't have the God-man Christ being revealed to the world. That hadn't happened yet. 
He grew up in a culture of all false gods in the Egyptian culture. And he's, he's learning about this God and he's obeying him. But there's so much he doesn't know. So much about the I am that he doesn't know. He says, God, show me your ways. It's a humble request. He wants to know God. And he reminds God, God, don't forget, these are your people. God answers, verse 14. And he, that's the Lord there in verse 14, said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Okay, now there's a change from what we saw earlier. God responds to the humility of Moses, to the desire that Moses has to know him, to know his ways, to really know him. And God says, my presence will go with you. And in the Hebrew, the word presence there, is, it's literally translated my face. My, my, my face will go before you. So God is saying to Moses, no longer will it just be an angel. We're not talking about just an angel anymore. But God himself is going to go. The very face of God is going to go with you. Oh, and Moses, I'm going to give you rest. I will give you rest. That struck me as I was thinking about that. Because if I asked you this question, if I said, do you want rest? Do you need rest? And I don't mean like you didn't sleep good last night. I mean, you're anxious. There's just, there's just over, you're overwhelmed. There's just so much worry. There's so much going on. There, 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 whatever it is, and you need rest. What is the answer here? Seek the presence of God. That's... It, it, it's not some fix. It's, it's not some formula. It's not some, you know, you do this and you mix in a little bit of this and make sure you stop here because if you put too much, then you're not going to get it. No, it's seek the presence of God. Do not seek the hand of God. What he can give to you, the very face of God. His presence. I just want to be in his presence. And I want to find rest. The rest comes from the presence of God. So we go on. Verse 15. Moses makes a conditional request here. And he, Moses, said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Moses says to the Lord, If your presence, if your face... Lord God, if you do not go with us, please don't send us. Don't bring us up from here. Even with the angel. Now wait. God did say earlier that he would send this angel and that God would drive out all the enemies. Maybe Moses should just take that deal and go with it. But Moses says no. Don't, don't miss what's happening here. What, what Moses is saying is if God isn't going with us, if God isn't going before us, don't send us. We don't want to go. And I want to ask you, 
What about you? What are you praying for? What are you, what are you asking God for in your life? What if God said to you something very similar that happened here with Moses? What if he said to you, you know, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. You've been asking for this for a long time. I'm going to give it to you, but I'm not going to be with you. I'll answer that prayer, but I'm not going to be with you. What would you do? What would you say? Would you say no? I, I Say no to the thing you're praying for. And then like Moses, say, if you're not with me, I don't want it. Because all I want is your presence with us. Why is this important? Because it reveals our heart. It reveals our heart. What did Moses want more? What did Moses want more? Did he want the promised land more? Or did he want God himself? See, the promised land is the blessing of God, right? It's the gift of God. It's the hand of God giving you what you want. Or do you just really want the the, the very presence of God? Moses chose God. He said, I want God. I want your presence. And if you're not going, if you're not with us, I don't want it. Notice what else Moses said to God in verse 16. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? How, how, Moses is saying, God, how are the people going to know that you have actually found favor with us and me? How are they going to know? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and Moses and your people, we are distinct from every other people on the face of the earth. How so? God is with us. God is going with us. What makes the people of God distinct? The presence of God with his people. We get this wrong so much. We miss this so much because we seek so many things and we we miss the best, the greatest thing that God himself can give us and that is his very presence with us Moses says isn't our identity God isn't it completely wrapped up in being God's people isn't that who we are God's people so if you're not with us who are we who are we you know I was thinking about that and I was thinking every church should ask themselves that question If God's not with us, if God's not in this, who are we? What are we doing? We could go through a whole lot of motions and do good things in the eyes of a lot of people. But ultimately, what we want is the presence of God with us in all that we do. Moses can't even fathom going without God because God going with them is what defines these people as the people of God. And it's the same with us. It is the same with us. Our identity is God with us. Does that sound familiar? God with us. 
Because if God is not with us, what else matters that we're doing as a church? But if God is with us, and if God is for us, then what else matters? And who can stand against us? Moses gets this. And then, because of this unique uh, conversation, he has a unique request. Verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you've spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, please show me your glory. Moses is overwhelmed. This is, this is an overflow response. His response is spilling out of him. That ever happened to you before? I'm not talking about angry, you know, anger. Like, you know, you're, ang- you're angry and things spill out of you. That's not, that's not good. But joy, you're just amazed at what God is doing in your life. And it just flows out of you, right? It just, it just comes out. And this is what's happening with Moses. He's hearing God. He's having this exchange with God. And, and he says, show me your glory. Probably says it, comes out. And then he hears what he said and goes, what did I just ask God to do? He wants to know more of this God. God said, you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. That's God's way of saying, I chose you by name. God has spoken so much to Moses about his glory that Moses says, can you show me your glory so I know what it is? And, and I was thinking about this because this is such an, uh, an amazing text and, and, and account, but it's Moses, right? I mean, it's Moses who's one of the greatest Old Testament characters there is uh, in, in the Bible. This guy has seen everything. I was thinking about it. So I just started making a list of all the things this guy has seen, right? He, he saw the burning bush. I mean, how many of you have seen that? A bush that burns that doesn't burn. He's on holy ground. And I don't mean like the holy ground we talk about. Well, you know, you're on holy ground. No, he was on literal holy ground. God said so. He had a staff that turned into a snake. He saw the Nile turn to blood. He saw Egypt overwhelmed with flies and locusts and frogs. He saw three days of darkness that he could not explain. And his morning devotions consist of a pillar-shaped cloud coming down to the front of his tent. He's seen it all, but he wants to see glory. God responds in verse 19. I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face. This is God to Moses. You cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. By goodness here, that word goodness, I will make all my goodness pass. God is referring to his nature. His holy character and nature will pass before Moses. And then, and then what God does here is declares his name, the Lord. 
right? You see that the Lord. And then what is also, what does he also speak to his sovereignty? Like it just, God has to just say it. I'm going to be gracious to who I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to show mercy to, to those. I will show mercy. I am the Lord God. He's sovereign. But God will have to protect Moses so that the burning holiness of God does not literally take the living breath away from a mortal sinner like Moses. So how will God do this so that Moses can live through it? How will he do it? Verse 21, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand. And you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. He hides Moses in the cleft of the rock and covers him until only a glimpse of his back can be seen. Only a glimpse of his holy glory so that Moses can live to tell about it. What an amazing event has a human ever experienced a more powerful moment with God than Moses that day. While standing on that rock. And what's so interesting as I was doing study on this and others have, making, have made mention of the same thing is, is the fact that it just, this story kind of just ends and there's really no more talk about it. This amazing event. It's almost as if there were no words to ex- explain what he had just experienced. No wonder Moses wouldn't go anywhere without God leading him and neither should you. And neither should we as a church, and we don't plan to. Our mission, as you've seen already, it's been shared many times. We exist to pervade the back mountain, the Wyoming Valley, and the world with the gospel. We're going to make disciples who make disciples and who display the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in every phase of their lives. That last phrase, disciples who display the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're seeking to make disciples that display God's glory, Christ's glory. Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that all the fullness of God dwells in him, which means that when we display the glory of God, the glory of Christ, we're displaying the glory of God himself. But that phase of life, if I said to you, what phase of life are you in? Maybe you have young kids still in your house. Maybe you have teenagers. Maybe you have both. Maybe you're an empty nester. Maybe you're retired. Maybe you're single. Maybe you're divorced. Maybe you're widowed. Maybe you're a widower. Whatever phase of life you are in, under the sovereignty of God, meaning you understand your phase of life being something that God is well aware of, understands, and you need to trust him through it, okay? I have a question for you to consider. Will you allow your phase of life, no matter what it is, to be used for God's glory? Not not continue to fight God about it and asking God to change it, And asking God to do this and asking God to do that. But just simply say, this is where you have me, God. How do you desire to use me in this phase of life that I'm in for your glory? 
Let him use your season of life to display the glory of God. Will you do that? Or as we've seen here in the text, will you be stiff-necked? Stubborn, hard-headed. If so, God's not going with you. You're going on your own. How do you bring God glory in every phase of your life? How do you do that? How do you bring God glory in every phase of your life? How are you going to do that? By desiring the presence of God more than you desire the blessing of God. What's your prayer life look like? Is it just request after request after request after request of things that are going to benefit you? Do you pray and ask God for his presence in your life, in your home, in your family, in your marriage, in your children, in your grandchildren? Those are powerful prayers. I want the presence of God there. That means you don't want angels and defeated enemies. Even answered prayer. Sometimes we can make a God out of answered prayer. We are idol makers. It's what we do. What are you talking about, pastor? Answered prayer is good. And I'm not saying it isn't. It is good. But when we have a prayer and the answer to the prayer for us begins to supersede who God is and his presence with us, now it's become a problem. We don't want anything more than God himself. Moses chose the presence of God over an angel and defeated enemies. Where God leads, you go. If he's not going, neither are you. But if he is going, then you go. He says, if he says to you, you can have what you want. I'll give you what you're praying for, but I'm not going to be with you. Then like Moses, you say, if you're not going with me, I don't want it. I want the presence of God in my life more than anything. And when you desire the presence of God, God reveals himself to you and you, he shows you his glory. And in doing so, you display that glory to others. And the same is true of our church. We desire to display the glory of God to the back mountain, Wyoming Valley and the world, which means we're only going to go where as a church where God is leading. If he's not going, neither are we. That's, that's what we wanted, want to do. But if he is, we, we, we want to go. If God is leading, we want to do it. This is, this is why we're involved in a church planting effort. Now, something that we felt and saw that God was doing. Such a blessing uh, this past week to hear the testimony shared at our congregational meeting. This past Tuesday night, there was a common theme. Different people testified But there was a common theme, and the common theme was, may God be glorified. May God be glorified through this. Our outreach as a church in this community, the food pantry, the clothes closet, it's for God's glory. It's not for our own. Our community groups that meet, it's for God's glory. Right? Our kids ministry, reaching out to kids, kids outreach, it's for God's glory. The youth ministry, the things that we do, the college ministry, it's for God's glory. The men, the women, gathering together, having Bible studies, fellowshipping together, studying the word, 
It's for God's glory. Our global missions, we support missionaries all over. Why? For God's glory. For the glory of God, not our own. And so as I thought about it, I thought that document from 2009 still rings true at Fellowship Church. We value God and his glory. We value that as supreme. May that never change. You know, you'll never go wrong living for God's glory. You know why? Because you can't bring God glory in your own flesh. Which means if he's getting the glory, you're doing it right. But there are so many other things we can do in our own strength, in our own flesh. We can even witness, we can share the gospel, we can lead a Bible study, we can, we can do so many other things in our own flesh. But the thing we can't do in our own flesh is bring glory to God. Because for God to be glorified, we need to do it in and through the spirit of God. And if you're doing that, you're doing what he wants you to do. And he's present with you because that's the only way we're going to glorify him. So as long as we desire his presence more than anything else, we will continue to glorify him. And that is what our church desires to continue to do as a church and what we as your pastors and leaders want to encourage you to do in your lives. Live for the glory of God. Your family is for the glory of God. Your children for the glory. Think about that. What am I doing as a parent? What am I doing as a husband, as a wife? What am I doing in all these different areas? What am I doing as a, as a worker in the workforce? Am I here for the glory of God? You ask yourself that often. You ask God to give you direction. And I guarantee you, you'll see some changes happening in your life. Because when we live for the glory of God, everything will change. Because for God to be glorified, we need to be submitted to him in all things. And that's our desire. Let's pray together. Lord God, we desire as a church and as a people to submit ourselves to the glory of God in all things. We recognize, God, that so many things in our lives desire to rob you of glory. Ourselves, we're, we're number one. We're first on the list. We will, every chance we get, choose to, to bring glory to ourselves. We will do things in a way where, 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 where we are selfish. Lord, forgive us. Help us as individuals and as a church to simply desire to bring glory to God in all things. May you be glorified in and through each one of us and through our church. We submit ourselves to you, God, for that purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.